It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I think the... the there's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Right now we have a 50-50 Senate and a 50-50 country. But I think when all is said and done this fall, we're likely to have an extremely close Senate, either our side up slightly or their side up slightly. Uh, the minority leader of the of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, speaking uh, to tell us that he thinks maybe the Senate will be lost. But, of course, he's helping the Senate lose because the little key f- phrase there was candidates, quality candidates. You know, if only we had quality candidates, we could win in this race. And so then we read from Red State that the um, McConnell-backed super PAC, and I told you this last week, or no, I guess I didn't tell you last week, the week before, um, that McConnell is removing money from these races where there are candidates that are supported by Donald Trump that he doesn't like. And so just to give it, to quantify it, Blake Masters in Arizona, uh, the McConnell-backed super PAC has withdrawn their advertising. So um, I'll just read it. The Senate Leadership Fund, a super PAC, aligned with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, announced nearly $10 million in advertising cancellations in Arizona and Alaska. The Super PAC already announced cancellations of $13.5 million collectively for Pennsylvania and Arizona and Wisconsin and Nevada. Now, who's running in those places? Let's see. Ron Johnson's running in Wisconsin, and now he's having a little trouble. It's showing him behind in the pool in the polls. So Mitch McConnell has withdrawn the funding for that race. Arizona, Blake Masters, that's the Trump pick supported by Peter Thiel. Uh, yeah, so, and he's running behind in his race now. Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, that's a curious situation for which I have only, the only thing I would say is, uh, at least for the most part, I guess Dr. Oz would uh, would do some things right, where the Democrat would probably not do anything that we would approve of because they become so far on the left. They just, they're not moderate anymore. Uh, and I, as, I'm at, as I understand it, it's a radical leftist who's running against Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz is just, a, you know, a mess in his own right, but uh, probably will get some things right. How about that for a rousing campaign? All right, but he's not, he can't be controlled by McConnell. So McConnell doesn't want him. He doesn't want any of these people that he can't control, evidently including Ron Johnson, which, you know, he can't control Ron Johnson anyway. Ron has probably really embarrassed him with these talks of, you know, voter fraud and that nasty January 6th stuff for which Mitch McConnell was so upset because how dare those people, you know, come into our capital, meaning, you know, his, his capital, not the people's uh, capital, but Mitch McConnell. So uh, that's the lay of the land here. Uh, and he's calling it candidate quality. CNBC is reporting that Masters is, uh, has only re- re- uh, raised $4.4 million in this cycle while the incumbent, Mark Kelly, has raised $54 million. And we know that in the polls, Masters was doing very well, but and Mark Kelly, not so good. But money makes a huge difference in these races, and so we see what Mitch McConnell is doing right now. It's uh, very upsetting to me, honestly. I'm kind of understating it, but you know, this is the reason I don't like him. It's the reason I tag him all the time, uh, because he and his uh, compatriots, the ones that stand at the mic at, with him, you know, weekly— making their pronouncements, are feckless uh, cowards, uh, or worse. Yeah. So, oh, now in Georgia, uh, Raphael Warnock is out fundraising Herschel Walker, who uh, Mitch McConnell doesn't approve of either, because, you know, 
uh, he, he would not listen to Mitch McConnell. So you can't possibly back him. Raphael Warnock would be far better, right? According to Mitch McConnell, it would be far better to have Raphael Warnock from uh, a radical leftist from Georgia sit in that Senate than have, uh, you know, um, Herschel Walker, who might not do what McConnell says. So, you know, it's complete sabotage. In fact, Warnock is out fundraising Walker in Georgia by three to one, over three to one. And nearly twice as much of Warnock's war chest is from out of state than uh, than in state, and also quite a few Hollywood celebrities are on the donor list for Warnock, as well as Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates also working for Raphael Warnock. Um, it's a mess, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what? The the story on that is not to quit. The story on that is money can do so much. Money is very valuable. Can reach tons of people can cause uh, people that are uninformed to vote in certain ways that they should not really be voting if they paid attention. But that does not mean that those of you that aren't paying it, are paying attention can't have a huge impact. It really is uh, volunteer for the cam- campaigns of these states uh, where these senators need your help. Overcome the money uh, with, with just groundwork. And uh, that's what just happened in the uh, Laura Loomer campaign in Florida she has been completely banned from social media for the last several years, so they were not able to use any of it. And with just three paid volunteers, uh, three paid staff members and volunteers, uh, she almost beat a long-term incumbent, Daniel Webster. And by the way, in that race, uh, one county, I think, it was, I think it was Palm Beach County. You know, I shouldn't speak about it unless I'm sure, but one of the counties that was in her jurisdiction, uh, Laura Loomer was ahead all night long against Daniel Webster because she campaigned really hard and Daniel Webster didn't show up. He refused to debate her. Um, And so she was winning. She won um, Sumter County. She won other counties. But this one county, just the the votes just were not coming forth. And then suddenly there was a – the machines went down. There was a pause in county for about 45 minutes. And when this other county came up, uh, there were – it was Orange County when the, when this when the votes came up. Uh, suddenly, Webster had gained like six thousand, seven thousand votes, which is about what he won from Trump. Now, I'm not saying that Daniel Webster cheated. That's not what I'm saying. But someone might have, may have manipulated those votes. It's too much like 2020, isn't it? So we got we got a fight on our hands. But Laura Loomer, the 29 year old girl, almost beat Daniel Webster, the te- the multiple year incumbent in that area. Uh, so, and that was by the the blood and sweat of volunteers. So, I'm just saying, if you if these states are states that affect you, call up the candidate and don't give up. Let's don't give up yet. I think it. You know, the time is going to come. Honestly, when there will be no point, and I I'm never going to push you past that point. But there is still a point. I still am an optimist. Uh, we've got this fall election, and regardless of what McConnell is saying and the others are saying. Uh, I think we have a chance to at least take the House and and the Senate too, if McConnell would just uh, like retire and go home to Kentucky and or go back to China with his wife, I don't know. Um, so and then he's got people standing around him like Roy Blunt. Now Roy was on. Uh, Roy's been in there forever. He's the same as McConnell. I've known him for years. He's also a coward. Sorry, he used to do great things. When they first get elected, they say the right things, they do some good things, and then they get so comfortable and so rich that they could care less, really, about the country. So Roy Blunt was on with George Stephanopoulos on this week, yesterday, and I just want you to hear the exchange, and then I'll comment on it. Let's listen. But setting that aside, whether or not these documents were classified, was it right for the president to take these government documents, which he's supposed to turn over to the National Archives, down to Mar-a-Lago? It was. You should be very careful with classified documents. I've been had access to documents like that for a long time. I'm incredibly careful. I was wondering as I was listening to that discussion if the same things were said uh, when Secretary Clinton had documents, when Director Comey had documents. They had them on the internet, which is much more dangerous than having them in a box somewhere. But everybody needs to be more careful about how these documents. Well, 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 Senator, you're still we need not to be sure that. we don't you're characterize them differently. Well, you're still not, you're not answering any question. You were critical of Senator Clinton, who actually turned over uh, what she had, turned over all her devices. What we have here is a situation where the president did not turn over uh, these documents. Can you say whether that was right or, or right or wrong? Do you believe it was right for the president to take those documents to Mar-a-Lago? 
he should have turned the documents over and apparently had turned a number of documents over. Well, it, it, it went on because the president didn't turn over the documents, correct? He was asked several times. He didn't turn them over. He was subpoenaed. He didn't respond to the subpoena. You know, the, these documents apparently, good, good thing they're going to have a special master look at these documents to sort through the documents that the president had every right to have and the documents that he hadn't yet turned over. I understand he turned over a lot of documents. He should have turned over all of them. Uh, I imagine he knows that very well now as well. All right. So I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about Mar-a-Lago right now because I'm going to get to it in just a second. But the two things I want to point out from that is Stephanopoulos tells Roy Blunt that Hillary turned over all her devices. And Roy Blunt doesn't catch it. He doesn't really know that that's an absolute lie. Let's see. Hillary Clinton destroyed her cell phones, refused to turn them over, bleach-bitted her content on her computers. And actually, when they turned over the computers, Cheryl Mills, you know, uh, they actually gave the—they never did examine them. The FBI didn't. They turned them back. Uh, That's another issue. Uh, but no, but she did not turn over her devices. She uh, hammered them, bleach-bitted them. No, that's a, a lie, but Roy Blunt didn't catch it. He's Because I'm telling you, these um, old dogs of the Senate, and I've watched it for several decades myself, their young staffers are the ones who run the show. They pay no attention. They don't pay attention. They don't know the details. They maybe read, I think, you know, Mitch McConnell reads the New York Times, Washington Post, and that's where he gets his information and his opinions and attitudes, or from his young staffers, and they kind of, uh, you know, Roy Blunt didn't even know, didn't know, didn't catch it, didn't object. And then he also says that President Trump should have turned over those documents. I imagine he knows that very well now. Well, I don't think he does know that very well now, Senator Blunt, but that's the kind of people that are leading the Republican Party. Aren't we proud? And then there's Karl Rove, who was, uh, let's see, he was interviewed. Where was he? He was on Fox, that much I can say. And he says, um, it's beyond me why Trump held onto the docs, docs documents when he had no legal authority. Of course, Karl Rove used to be the big swag in town. I knew him well. He served as senior advisor to President George W. Bush. And uh, why was he holding on to these materials when he had no legal authority to do so under the Presidential Records Act is beyond me. Well, like I said, I'm not going to get to the Mar-a-Lago stuff yet, but I will, and I'll take that apart. My, my point is, Carl is a, a point important. Whether I think he's important or not, or whether I listen to him or not, is relevant. He has a lot of sway. Uh, and he's, you know, connected to the Bushes who hate Trump, to Liz Cheney, who hates Trump because her dad served as Bush's vice president. It's a whole cabal. They're part of this, uh, but they're Republicans. Remember that. Roy Blunt's a Republican, so is Mitch McConnell, so is Karl Rove, but they all hate Trump, and they want to stop any politicians that he's aligned with, any senatorial candidates, so much so that they would rather lose the Senate than have someone in there that they can't control. Uh, and, and this reminds me a lot, you know, uh, Joe Biden, I think, and Mitch McConnell actually agree on a lot of things. Uh, in fact, I'll just let you hear what Joe Biden had to say in, I think, uh, well, the East Coast, uh, in some kind of a, a rally over the weekend. This is clip uh, 15. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. This is why in this moment, those of you who love this country, Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving America than the MAGA Republicans are destroying America. Yeah, so there you go. The MAGA, they're the biggest threat to our democracy. They are they can't control them. They don't want to listen to the will of the people, which he means the will of those of us here in D.C. who are controlling everything. And um, so uh, he and McConnell do agree on this because they're both part of the Washington establishment, and it is such a shame, and we have to change things. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. It's nice to be back, by the way. I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. 
If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, just watching your hard-earned dollars flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option. It's called MediShare 65+. Plus. And MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills. It really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years, and you can use your Medicare-approved doctor, and you also get telehealth 24-7 service so you don't have to leave your home for the little stuff. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're easy to talk to. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Don Graves, Deputy Secretary of Commerce. He serves as the department's chief operating officer with responsibilities for day-to-day management of 46,000 employees. Deuteronomy 8.18 reminds us that God provides us with the means to create commerce. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear God, we ask for guidance for Don Graves in his role at the Commerce Department. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. The people for the ethical treatment of animals are very upset with all of you humans accusing you of speciesism. PETA says humans need to stop using supremacist language when insulting other humans. They say calling someone an animal and meaning it as an insult reinforces the idea that humans are superior to other animals, which we are. Instead of calling someone a chicken, for example, PETA wants you to use the word coward. Instead of a snake, say jerk. You can't call anybody a rat anymore. You have to call them a snitch. And all of you Elvis impersonators, well, you probably ought to steer clear of you ain't nothing but a hound dog might trigger the people-eating tasty animals crowd. Last year, PETA caused a national uproar when they said we should stop referring to cats and dogs as our pets. They said it was an insult to Fluffy and Spot. You know, it sounds like the folks in charge of PETA are bird-brained. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. There was a lot of attention. There was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York yeah, we Post. have it too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was, the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of, um, uh, of, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. Yes, okay, so that's the voice of Mark Zuckerberg, who was definitely vigilant uh, when the Hunter Biden laptop broke, the story of that, uh, Facebook was happy to cooperate, and so was Twitter, and so were all the major outlets. Uh, Remember the New York Post article broke that talked all about Hunter Biden's laptop, and uh, no one would run it. They canceled it. They, they, They shut it out on social media because they didn't want people to know what actually happened on that. 
And actually, we should um, we should talk about this just a little bit. The FBI has responded to this, and this is what they say. They say that we know that uh, Facebook censored. They say that the reason they did that was because uh, they didn't say anything about uh, the laptop specifically. That they were so concerned about, you know, uh, interfering with the twenty with any other elections, and so they didn't want to have anything. They were just giving a general warning to press. That's what their statement was. Uh, but in response to that, Chuck Grassley said, "We know Facebook censored spread of Hunter Biden's laptop story after the FBI approached uh, them, and the FBI and Facebook and big tech interfered in the 2020 election. Facebook acted as an arm of both face." of government, both Facebook and FBI should be ashamed of interfering with our electoral process. And by the way, it's really interesting because Joe Biden made a statement just a couple of days ago uh, that we could we had to make sure that no other election was stolen in the future. And people are saying, what? What's he talking about? Is he admitting that there was a stolen election in 2020? Is he possibly agreeing to that? Well, uh, you know, I'll just leave that to you to decide. Um, John Solomon also, you know, John is a great investigative reporter, and I, I really I get a lot of information from him. I think John must be from Wisconsin. He's one of those no-nonsense guys. Uh, but he actually now has linked the Biden White House to that raid in Mar-a-Lago. And he lays it out pretty clearly with an, in an interview with Sean Hannity. Let's listen. This is clip five. Yeah, not only did they know, they were pushing the investigation. They gave the permission to the uh, National Archives to send the original boxes of documents that Donald Trump had sent back to the archives to the FBI. That launches the criminal investigation. They then give the archives the permission, Joe Biden's blessing, to waive the president's best legal defense by saying you can't claim executive privileges over this. The current president will not allow it to happen. All that occurs long before a grand jury drops a subpoena on uh, President Trump's lawyers in May and June and long before the raid. The Biden White House is at the ignition point of this investigation. And it's ironic because if you remember back in 2019 and 2020, it was the Biden Democrats that were complaining about efforts to start an investigation of Hunter Biden. Now they're caught doing the same thing, trying to push an investigation of their political rival, the opposition leader of the party, likely to face him in 2024. This is a, uh, a letter from the acting National Archivist of America to President Trump's lawyer on around May 10th, and in it, it lays out the entire role of the Biden White House. The general counsel's office was involved. It authorized the release of documents to the FBI. That's what starts the criminal probe. It then uh, authorizes uh, uh, telling the Trump uh, attorneys they will not be able to use executive privilege and also telling the FBI, you can take these records without an executive privilege fight, go use them. So they not only uh, start the ignition point, they facilitate it by taking away one of the president's uh, potential defenses. Alan Dershowitz, other lawyers I talked to tonight, deeply concerned by the uh, Biden uh, White House's involvement in this. They didn't have to be involved. The FBI could have gone to court, tried to compel this stuff. Instead, the FBI takes a short shortcut goes to the guy who might have to run against Donald Trump in 2024 and gets the records through the back door. But tonight we have a new fact and evidence. The Biden White House can no longer claim it wasn't involved in the starting of this criminal investigation or its facilitation. In fact, long before the raid, we're talking about April and May. That's now a fact that's no longer in doubt. All right. So there you go. So the Biden White House, does that surprise anyone? You know, isn't it interesting? Uh, Joe Biden... Uh, is senile. There's no question about it. He's having, he's failing mentally, and yet he's uh, still. Um, how do you how do you describe a person who is smart about being mean? He's just wicked. He's just wicked. That part is still very much alive in him. That wickedness. Uh, he, he's just. I think that's. And people are seeing who he really is. I think that's true. You know, I I actually think it's true that when we get really old. We kind of become who we really are. You know, some of the filters are gone, and so we kind of reveal sometimes the inside of us. And to me, it's really sad that so many older people are not kind. You know, they're grumpy and mean, and uh, makes you think that maybe that's the way they were. Okay, so I think Joe Biden, I've always thought, ever since I followed him way, way back when he was in the Senate, was a terrible person of no integrity uh, and also very mean all, all the time. So uh, we're just seeing that now. So, so here we go. Um, and on the, I so have to go decide which way I'm going to go. I'm going to go Hunter Laptop or I'm going to go Mar-a-Lago. I think I'll go Mar-a-Lago because 
That's making all the news. There's a lot to say about it. Mike Davis is probably going to join us tomorrow, and we'll pick his brain on this more. Uh, but the uh, the affidavit was released, but it was redacted, I think, 27 out of 33 pages, something like that. That's not exact, but most of it was completely redacted, completely redacted because uh, people had a right to know why in the world did they, the FBI send some sort of a raid into the, the home of the former president, go into his wife's closet. They went into Trump's bathroom. They went everywhere. Why? How could they do this? This must have been really bad, right? We should see it, right? We should open it up and look and see. Well, we have found out that there's just nothing to this. Uh, and by the way, the reason that the the um, uh, the uh, the judge uh, ordered that the affidavit be uh, released, even though it was redacted terribly, was because of the work of Judicial Watch. I just have to give a shout out for our friends there, Tom Fitton and the guys there. Uh, Uh, And I'll just read a little bit of what Judicial Watch is saying. The Department of Justice released its highly redacted affidavit in response to our court request to unseal the warrant materials used in the unprecedented raid on the home of the former president. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt had granted our motion and ordered that before noon Eastern time on Friday, August the 26th, the government shall file in the public docket a version of the affidavit containing the redactions proposed. And so uh, it is a remarkable and historical victory, and the Judicial Watch is the one that got that. But now they're they're not satisfied. Albany Times Union and the New York Times, I think I told you this uh, week before last, joined in that filing for unsealing this warrant. So that's pretty amazing. And so it was unsealed, but then it was, you know, so terribly redacted. And so now uh, the Judicial Watch is going back again. They're going to uh, find, they're going to find out Oh, I don't know what the legal terms are, but they're going to challenge the redactions. And then also they're going to the National Archives. They're suing them for hiding the records on the Trump raid because this is all boiling down to the the National Archives administrator. That's what's so bizarre about this. It's, there's no emergency. They just wanted that information back. And we do believe that the information there is very damning to the FBI, very damning to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and all the usual actors. And that's why they felt such urgency. It has nothing to do with national security. It has to do with saving their own uh, various parts. So they saving their neck, we'll say that. So um, this is uh, the FBI. This is an interesting bit. The FBI affiant who swore to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant appears to have made a critical factual error by stating in the unsealed affidavit I do not believe that any spaces within the premises have been authorized for the storage of classified information. And by the way, just the opposite is true. White House Records is confirming that a sensitive compartmented information facility authorizing the briefing and storage of classified material uh, up to the TSSCI level had in fact been installed at Mar-a-Lago and records show that the Secret Service had recently awarded a nearly $600,000 contract to upgrade physical security within the within the premises of the Mar-a-Lago for the Trump's post-presidency transition. So uh, that was complete. They, this is the FBI didn't know this. They didn't know this. The president had already going back, had gone back and forth with them. They had had agents come down and look through those boxes. Uh, they asked for them to add a, a second padlock on the door, which they did. Uh, so um, this is just um, this just raises all kinds of flags. Um, and then on the other victory that people are celebrating uh, is that a judge has ordered in Florida uh, the intent to appoint a special master. Now we I'd never heard that word before until. I think it was Rudy Giuliani uh, who they they went into his uh, uh, client records, which had never happened before. They took everything of Rudy Giuliani's, and then in New York State, they claimed they were hiring a special master that would be like the the bridge between the FBI and those that searched and took that stuff. Uh, so that some special master would review all that and decide who could see what. I didn't know that. I had never heard of that before. Well, now we have a special master that they're asking to come and look at the things that were taken from Trump's uh, home in Mar-a-Lago. The problem is, you know and I know that they've already been gleaned. Trust me. The Justice Department, you know, appointed what other, like, in their own words, special masters, shall we say in quotes, uh, to to dive into that and to do whatever they could to stop the release of that. So I'm sure they're busy behind the behind the scenes. And I want to read this also to you. This is from Just the News, which is again John Solomon's outlet. 
And I think these are important. It's uh, five unanswered legal questions in the Trump raid case. Did the 45th president classify the documents found in his home? And uh, if the president can show that, and presidents have wide latitude to declassify at will without going through the normal process, it could challenge any criminal prosecution under the Espionage Act. Uh, The president can be left with whatever documents on his request that he wants, says former federal prosecutor Kash Patel. Um, And he said, of course, you've heard it, we've talked about it, that all those documents were already declassified. He's the president of the United States. He's a unilateral final arbiter of classification and declassification authorities. Now, some other people think there needs to be more evidence that there's classification, but they all agree, according to uh, Just the News, that every president has wide latitude to declassify what they want, when they want, while they are in office. So, um, second what question. Did President Joe Biden have the constitutional authority to waive executive privilege over Trump documents sent to Congress or the Justice Department? Now, this is a really interesting point, I think. Uh, executive privilege has, all, has been debated for decades. And under George, George W. Bush, the final decision on executive privilege covering a former president's papers was tipped toward the ex-executive and not the incumbent. So George Bush found favor in the decisions that were made on what stuff he took. During the Obama-Biden years, the final say was tilted back toward the incumbent, which would be Obama. The roller coaster history means any legal challenge will likely look at the Constitution. Biden used the Obama-era guidance, in other words, the one that says the current president can stop or can alter executive privilege for the former president uh, to pierce Trump's privilege and send evidence to the FBI this spring. But um, a lot of constitutional scholars are saying that the Supreme Court will side with Bush rather than the, meaning the model. That's the name of the model that that uh, goes back to the uh, former president, not the sitting one. So otherwise, because otherwise, according to Alan Dershowitz, you can't have a privilege when then your political opponent can waive. What president would ever seek advice and confide in people around him, cabinet members, White House counsel, White House chief of staff, if you know that when you're defeated for office and you're going to be running again, your opponent can just by saying, I waive the privilege, get into every single conversation you ever had. I can't believe any constitutional scholar would agree with that. Um, Then I guess I want to skip some of these. Uh, uh, Was this overly broad, the warrant, and did it result in an illegal over-collection of evidence? And this is true. Bruce would tell you if I brought him in to talk about it. FBI, especially if you go after someone with a big, uh, high profile like President Trump. If you, I mentioned to you that President, uh, then Senator Obama, was a subject of target of some investigations by the Chicago FBI years ago when he was senator. And there were there's so many rules about what they could and could not do in investigating Barack Obama. I'm telling you, uh, and uh, some things were covered over. I'm telling you, so. This affirms at least the principle. The rules for FBI agents and federal prosecutors require that a search warrant be cast narrowly as possible to protect Americans' Fourth Amendment rights against unlawful search and seizure. But the Mar-a-Lago search warrant authorized the seizing of any presidential records the entire time he was in office. Former FBI Assistant Director Kevin Brock said he believes the search warrant was unconstitutionally broad and may be struck down on appeal. Um, he says, that to me, it's overly broad. They should have been a little bit more specific. It allowed the searching agents basically a hole that you could drive a truck through. And I think that's going to become, as I've mentioned before, provides a runway for Trump's attorneys to argue that the search was overly broad. Uh, and Brock, Brock calls it the former FBI agent. It's like a, the revenge of the National Archives. It's all about the National Archives. Uh, there's no legal basis. There's no urgency. It was, I'm saying... A political witch hunt. I think most of you would probably agree with me. I think probably even, uh, you know, the New York Times and others agree that this is just a bridge too far. This is an abuse of power. Uh, And the problem is, as though that weren't enough, the problem is that abuse of power is going to be turned on each and every one of us. Certainly the MAGA crowd. We are the MAGA crowd. Can you imagine what they have in mind for us? You heard what Joe Biden just said about how we want to we want to destroy elections and undermine democracy. Really? Well, that's the narrative, and that's what they're going for. And I think it'd probably be very effective. 
Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Target is in the bullseye because of its transgender bathroom policy. A petition by the American Family Association to boycott Target now surpassing a million signatures and counting. People have their own beliefs and stuff, but what can it hurt? What can it hurt? What can it hurt? Can it, hurt? it hurts our daughters. It hurts you. It hurts our families. It hurts me. It hurts all of us. Sign the petition to boycott Target at AFA.net. Can we trust the Bible? He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks, the important documentary from the American Family Association, is now available to watch for free on AFA's brand new streaming platform. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to watch this award-winning film today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In his October 11, 1798 address to the Massachusetts militia, John Adams, second president of the United States and founding father, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He understood that in order for the American Constitutional Republic to survive long term, the church in America must make disciples of its populace. And immoral people will always destroy themselves through lawlessness. To think otherwise is to suffer under a grand delusion. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, I'm Jan Harper. If you're a pastor's wife, come be encouraged and renewed as you share your challenges and stresses unique to pastors and their wives. The AFA Pastors and Wives Fishbowl Retreat is returning October 18th through the 20th to Linden Valley Conference Center in Linden, Tennessee. The retreat is three days and two nights of relaxation and encouragement. Our host will be Pastor Bert Harper, Director of Marriage, Family, and Pastoral Ministries, and co-host of Exploring the Word on AFR, and his wife, Jan. And our special speakers will be Will and Miki Addison of Airing the Addisons on AFR. Lodging, meals, and materials are all included in your registration. But hurry, space is limited. Register today by calling 662 844 5036 extension 297 or at repairingthefoundations.net the afa pastors and wives fishbowl retreat we'd love to see you there this is frank afney with the secure freedom minute whistleblowers have reportedly been confirming to senators ron johnson and chuck grassley what many of us have long suspected The Federal Bureau of Investigations is no longer a premier law enforcement agency whose senior leaders honor their oaths to, quote, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, unquote. Instead, the acronym FBI these days seems to stand for Friends of Biden, Inc., namely the crime syndicate that does business as our nation's first family. Thus, we have the spectacle of heavily armed FBI agents rounding up and humiliating the president's political enemies, including raiding the Florida home of his once and likely future rival. Even more odious have been the Bureau's efforts to cover up for or otherwise enable the serial lies, corruption, and betrayals of the big guy, his son, and other relatives and business partners. Enough. This is Frank Afton. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. When you look at this uh, computer uh, store owner in Delaware who allegedly received Hunter Biden's laptop, that is more in line with it when you think about somebody who's a useful idiot. That's kind of the entry point that is kind of, again, a classic indicator of the potential uh, presence of disinformation. Right-wing media has been focused on Hunter Biden, this laptop uh, that intelligence officials have warned is likely Russian disinformation. Law enforcement is actively investigating whether the alleged Hunter Biden emails are linked to any foreign intel ops. The story is preposterous. So we're supposed to believe that Hunter Biden in a drunken stupor dropped off his laptop in, I guess, apparently QAnon repair office. All right. That was a montage of the media in 2020 
when the Hunter laptop became the subject. It was right before the election. And that was the, what the media had to say. Okay, so they're saying it's ridiculous, Russian disinformation, the FBI, uh, it looks like, went to Facebook and possibly Twitter and who knows what else and told them they need to suppress that. All the media outlets did. In fact, they New York Post did a whole expose on the laptop and uh, it was they took it out of offline. You couldn't see it anywhere. It was the first time. This is a major media outlet. And that the the, uh, the internet sources of news would not allow it to be repeated, so um, that's what happened. And that on the backdrop of that, Bill Maher, who had uh, Rob Reiner, Rob is used to be meathead on All in the Family. Who he was hilarious, you know, fifty years ago. Uh, but he's a radical leftist, and he was on with Bill, and they had a very interesting exchange. I'd like for you to hear it. Let's listen. So he's saying it's okay to have a conspiracy to get rid of somebody as bad as Trump. It's a little bit of a thorny question because once you go down this road, this is sort of where we are in this country, the other side is so evil, anything is justified in preventing them from taking office. Is it? No, no. You know what's not justified? Using armed violence to try to kill people in the Capitol. That's not justified. Answer this question. Huh? Is it, was it, answer this question. Well, it is was the it appropriate? The question is, was, was it appropriate to bury the Hunter Biden? You're talking about the press doing the, that? He's saying that's what they did, and that is what they did. They buried the Hunter Biden story before the election because they were like, we can't risk having the election thrown to Trump. We'll tell them after the election. Well, and, and we know for a fact that that's what they did? Of course. You no, don't but follow I mean, this. Saying you you gotta... know for a fact that that's what they did? I don't know what they did. I know, because you only watch MSNBC. No, that's not true. That's not true. Well, then you would know about this. I do know about that. Well, you're acting I do, like you I know. Do, I do know about that, and I do watch Fox. But the point is, uh, you, we're going to prove now that, they, that, they, that the, the press uh, played, you know, tried to... They're admitting it. They're, the press is a, admitting it. Yes, that's not even an issue anymore. They're saying, yes, we basically did this because we didn't want this to throw the election. It was an interesting exchange, and Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar jumps in and says, oh, yeah, well, we don't know that they all did it. Well, they all did it, and then we know this. Uh, and this shows the ignorance of Rob Reiner, and just to, to emphasize this, now we have you know, Zuckerberg coming forward saying that the FBI told them to, there was going to be Russian disinformation and they need to stop it. The FBI is saying, oh, but no, we didn't talk about that on our laptop. Talk, top. Uh, Jack uh, Dorsey, uh, the head of Twitter, said it was a mistake to remove this information. And so, um, and then we had the New York Times, the Washington Post, and lots of other media outlets come out and admit that, in fact, the Hunter Biden laptop was indeed real. They, re- they admitted that 17 months after the first story broke. NPR vowed not to cover this story because it was a waste of time. So that's the extent to which Bill Maher was telling the truth and Rob Reiner was clueless. And you can see why it's not just uh, Hollywood actors who are clueless, and they certainly are. They know a few sound bites, they know a few things, and then they go off because they're very emotional. They're actors very, uh, you know, the left side of their brain is in working overdrive and they don't pay attention. They don't know what they're talking about. They should not be listened to. But the problem is people in the East Coast who sit in the halls of Congress are the same. I just kind of laid that out for you in a few minutes ago. You know, you think Mitch McConnell is reading Epoch Times? You think, uh, you know, uh, any of those guys that stand behind McConnell are really up to date on what's going on? You know, when they talk, they're just so laid back. You know, well, the gentleman from, well, you know, that's not the way. Well, that's not good. You know, they shouldn't do that. That's the way they talk. That's the way people talk who don't feel the fire. They are not, their feet have not been singed. They are not feeling the burn. They are not feeling the urgency of what's happening in the country. But um, I'm going to go back to this laptop because it talked, it told us a lot about the corruption of the Biden family. I, I don't think I'm going to get into the weeds that I was going to uh, because there's so much money exchanged from Ukraine. I told you Ukraine is their cash cow. That's why I shudder every time they send more money to Ukraine. We know where it's going. We can be pretty certain because it's been going to the Biden family indirectly. I'm not saying all of it. A lot of it, though. Uh, we have proof that it's gone into the pockets of who was called the big guy. That was Joe Biden and his son Hunter and his uh, brother and I think even his sister, the Biden family. So 
Uh, but in uh, around uh, something else that was found that we're learning more about, that was the uh, that was squelched right before the election was the discovery of Ashley Biden's diary. That's the daughter of Joe Biden, and we've talked about this. Uh, it's the bi- it's the diary where she says that her her dad showered with her, and that's what started her sexual promiscuousness. Oh, it's just horrible. And so um, remember that uh, James O'Keefe with Project Veritas. Well, now we know more about it. I'll just tell you the story. Two Florida residents have pleaded guilty to taking that diary. I don't think they stole it from her. I think she left it in a, some sort of a safe house, and they discovered it, and they sold it to Veritas for $40,000. Um, and they are they're being charged with, uh, well, theft of another person's personal property and trying to profit from it. But they gave it to Project Veritas, and you will recall that suddenly, right before the election, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas were raided by guess who? The FBI. Raided all their stuff taken, their information, their sources, everything taken in that raid. And, of course, not much of a, was said by news media, not much of a whimper, although they would have been apoplectic if that had happened to the New York Times but now we know, you know, uh, James had possession of that diary. Uh, but they chose, they never did. What they did was they turned it over to law enforcement. James never did t- write that. They, they never printed that. They never did a story on that, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, but we can see how wicked all of this undermining of elections is. And um, it's continuing, and we will, of course, be talking about it because we have an election coming up. And We're in a fight for our life. We are in a fight for the life of this country. And uh, we've got to feel the singe on our feet in order to make us get out there and work. My husband and I were talking about this yesterday, about the sense of urgency and why people are not feeling the sense of urgency. And I do understand it because we still, in spite of what's happening, most of us haven't been touched in a real way. Uh, I have a friend that's been touched in a real way. And um, I I have to be cryptic. Let's just say... It's been very difficult for her. And uh, on an email chain that we're all on, someone else weighed in on some other injustice that had just happened. Uh, And that other person had been very unconcerned about what had happened to my friend. And uh, so her comment was, it's really interesting how when the fire comes to you, you sense you have a feeling of urgency. Before, it's like, uh, you know, oh, not so much. Don't care so much. Um, and it's true. And so I think that part of being a Christian, and you know, if I'm wrong about this, then you can correct me, but I think that we, there's a scripture that talks about bearing other people's burdens. Not, no, don't just think on your own things, but think on the things of others and their concerns. Taking on the burdens like God does for us, Jesus does for us, taking on the burdens of other people. And taking them on also with the wisdom to know that things are going to get really bad. And the wisdom to know that you'd better do something now because it'll be too late later. And that's what I try to talk to you about, you know, every day. I want to, gosh, there's other things I want to tell you here, but I I should get personal with you for a second. I want to thank Christian for filling in so beautifully last week. I want to thank Adam and Devin for manning manning the ship back at the station in Tupelo and uh, that things went well. I listened to a couple of the shows last week, and uh, they sounded great, and I know you were in very good hands, and so <laughs> I'm very grateful for all of that. Um, I'm doing fine. I had five days of radiation, and uh, that's very minimal, as you know. Anyone who knows anything about cancer knows that that's very minimal. And it was, you know, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? This big thing is happening to your body, and you feel nothing. You can see a little beam, but you don't really feel anything. It's really strange, isn't it? Um, but um, I'm fine. I'm just doing fine. It's over. It's past. I've had the surgery, and uh, we don't expect, you know, I expect many more years of uh, of good health where that is concerned, and uh, if it comes back, well, we'll deal with that, you know, when that happens. I, You know, when you, when you stand on the rock and you've lived your life um, with an eye toward heaven, you have an eye toward heaven, and so the closer it gets, it's not bad news at all. It's good news. I have a friend that's got ravaging cancer. She and I talk all the time and she just is so filled with God with the word of God and the, the and of course she's making transition. It's really hard to think about leaving, you know, the things on this earth, children, family, grandchildren, 
Um, and it's that's not to minimize, but it's true that we have a great hope uh, that transcends all the things we are dealing with on this earth. And so I do, listen, that hope has been the center of my life for so many years. It's like, I don't have to paint it on. It's just there. It's part of my DNA because it is in him that we live and move and have our being. And when we breathe our final breath and when we're alone in that place in our deathbed and we can't say another word, we are not alone. Uh, God is with us. His spirit will be powerfully right there with us, ushering us in uh, to the to the new reality of an eternal home. So, um, but I'm not close enough to death yet, as far as I know, uh, to be having those thoughts. But I'm just telling you, uh, that it's all good news. And so, thank you for your prayers and your kindness and your sweetness, and uh, and help someone today who's got you know be t- take on other people's burdens. Okay, care for them and take take care of things that aren't really necessarily in your purview. You could go about your business and be really happy, not worrying about them, and that includes the comp- country includes personal friends who are struggling. So, all right, in my last three minutes, I have some things I want to tell you. Uh, You know that uh, Dr. Fauci resigned last week. You can imagine I did not shed many tears on that. Uh, um, Ron DeSantis is calling for a Fauci reckoning if the Republicans win control of Congress. And uh, I hope that's true. Uh, We have, uh, this is interesting to me, 90 pastors have signed a statement, a standing strong together against this. It's a coalition of more than 90 American pastors from different denominations. They have declared they will never again close down their churches via government order. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. We are standing firm and invite all pastors in local churches across America to stand with us in declaring that we will never again comply with the arbitrary orders of an elected or appointed official concerning the conduct and operation of our churches, which are secured by the Constitution of the United States, and outside the purview and, uh, and authority of local, state, and federal officials. In an article entitled, Christ Not Caesar is Head of the Church, Reverend John MacArthur, speaking on behalf of the pastors and elders of Christ Community Church, accurately posited that a recent state order requiring churches in California to limit or suspend all meetings indefinitely exceeded legitimate jurisdiction of their civic leaders, and that faithfulness to Christ prohibited them from observing the restrictions they had attempted to impose on their corporate worship. During the COVID-19 pandemic, elected and appointed government officials clearly exceeded their constitutional authority, even to the point of forbidding public worship by churches. Dr. MacArthur pointed out that obedience to any such order puts followers of Jesus Christ at odds with the head of the church and his commandment that we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. An arbitrary edict by government that obviates a divine injunction places pastors in the unenviable position of choosing between the will of God or the will of man. The Apostle Paul wrote that choosing to please men disqualifies one as a servant of Christ. Corporate worship is a spiritual discipline essential to spiritual development. If, as a pastor, elder, or other church leader, you agree that decisions concerning the nature and timing of corporate worship do not belong to the government but to church. Please link arms with us and our brothers and sisters around the world by taking the following three actions. Sign the statement below, share the website, and help us reach our goal of initial goal of 5,000 signatures. And on New Year's Day 2023, email governing officials in your local, state, and federal jurisdiction to inform them that you are a signee and will not be closing your church again on their order. Okay, so we'll put that, it's called the Acts 529 statement, that we should obey God rather than man. That's what that Acts 529 is. We'll put that on our on our getter page, because I think many of you who are pastors will want to join this. I think, and some of you who are listening, who have pastors that you love and trust, uh, might want to present this to them and have them make a declaration. Let's get this behind us and be the church in this really challenging culture. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Thank you.